How's yeah. it going? We're doing great. How are things with you? Things are good. I'm just looking at all these things that are appearing on my screen here to make sure I understand what's happening. It all looks yeah. it all looks respectable to me. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice. Things are I'm good. just I'm just peeking over your shoulders to check out where you're at. Is is this your studio or? Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm here in my uh, my studio at the house where I record and do broadcasts from. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I decided a few years ago that I I needed to upgrade from you know a little project studio to a real studio just because of more because of my life circumstances with um with when my wife and everything not being able to be on the road as much so yeah mm-hmm. yeah so I've, I've built a fully functional studio here this is where I'm I've been working at it for the last few years which is nice fantastic mm-hmm. how are you guys doing um, doing well thank Good. you thank you do you have anything for us there can't like you know can we share are we sharing very <laughs> <laughs> possible you guys would be in <laughs> my after dinner settle down here nice. I actually. I knew this one was coming down the pipe, but it was booked so far ahead. Yes. Yeah. And I was just downstairs having dinner with my wife, and uh, and all of a sudden uh, I got a bing on my phone. Uh, Cam Carpenter doing his due diligence with my reminder. I'm like, oh shit, that's tonight. I was hiding <laughs> Thursday for some reason, but that's okay. I have nothing Thanks. better to be doing, and I'm I'm happy to be here. So. Well, wait, wait, we're happy to have you here. Thanks. Yeah. So give me a little bit of give me a little bit of background on who you guys are, so I know who I'm talking to. Um, yeah. I did some research and I got your names and stuff, but I'm like, where, how do you guys get into this, and, and what is it you're uh, what is it you're doing? Like, what's the why are you guys podcasting, and uh, and what's it all about? Greg, over to you. So yeah, Greg? so so I will say that um, Kareem has been podcasting with uh, his podcast called Welcome for many 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 years. Um, which I've been a guest on a couple of times previously, talk about different things. Uh, My background, uh, I'm a recovering 80s, 90s musician. Um, uh, Played with somebody who we're going to talk to a little bit later on in the interview uh, as a kid. Um, And yeah, so we, so our, our, our shtick as we came by it, we were, we were, we, it's funny because we were actually looking at going into sort of the Toronto political discussion Mm -hmm. and we just we found we had more fun together when we like we had Tom Wilson on and and Sate and others and that was when I was just sort of jumping in with him every once in a while right. and then we just realized this is fun like I'm the I'm the bitter old ex musician and he's the uh, the uber uber fan geek of music that that asks questions that I just shake my head at sometimes <laughs> and uh, like time count questions no I'm no I'm joking but I, but you know what I mean we that sort of thing we built up and yeah it's yeah, yeah. fun with it. That's fantastic. That's fa- and what's your background, Kareem? Uh, I work in advertising. Advertising. Yeah, yeah. You work, the, you work for the devil. I work for the devil, and uh, <laughs> we'll talk about another one of your friends, uh, yes. your your former bandmates that uh, that used to work for the devil, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> but um, um, <laughs> yeah, thank you again for uh, for joining us. Uh, I'm um, so happy to be here. This is, this is great. I've been really enjoying these podcasts. They're a lot of fun. Awesome. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hey, folks. My name is Ken Tizard. I am from St. John's, Newfoundland, living in Ontario these days. Um, full-time musician. That's all I've ever done. I write songs, I record songs, tour around the world. Raise my family, raise my wife and kids. And when I don't have anything else to do, I speak to people on podcasts. And today you are listening to me, Karim and Greg, chatting it up on Welcome to the Music. Welcome, 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 welcome. We're so we're so uh, we're so happy to have you on with us today. Thank you, Cam, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Listen, right right off the top, um, yeah. how how is Allison doing? How is she doing? Allison is. It's always a hard question to answer because I could go on about it way too long. Um, but um, my wife is recovering from a stem cell bone marrow transplant due to severe MS. Uh, she has been uh, in bed for over three years uh, now, and um, I am her primary caregiver, so I'm with her all the time. Um, she is, when we did the stem cell transplant two years ago, they told us it was a a one to two or two to five year recovery. 
And um, mm-hmm. depending on what kind of complications were involved, because there are a lot of complications with the procedure. Uh, so we're now just past our second year. Um, she's she has use of one of her arms. The other one is, um, you know, she doesn't have much functionality with it and her legs are still not uh, operating. But the MS, uh, the MS attacks and all that stuff that was making her even worse have stopped. Um, the procedure did work. Now it's just a matter of recovery. So she's doing well. You know, we, we met with the team in Ottawa recently uh, via Skype and or whatever the WebMD thing is they use. Mm-hmm. And um, the doctors all say, like, you know, from a cellular perspective, she's doing amazing. Like her, her immune system is coming back. Her bone marrow is back. You know, the cells are regenerating. This is happening. That's happening. The actual physicalities of her getting up and being able to walk again and, um, you know, get some independence back. That's still a few years away. So. We're, we're okay with it. It's, it's, we know where we are in the process. Um, it's, it's a long thing to go through. Um, when somebody starts talking to you about years, um, it doesn't sound like much until you're into them. Um, but we've made, we've made several adaptions in our life and, um, she's doing just fantastic. You know, I get her outside in the backyard every day and, uh, and we spend what we, the easy, the easiest thing about it. I mean, aside from being husband and wife or lovers or any of that shit, um, she's, she's just a really good friend and we like hanging out together. Nice. But, you know, my day starts whenever she wakes up and needs something, um, you know, um, I, that's when my day starts. And we're, we're together all day up until, you know, I, I tuck her in and, and kiss her because she's in a, a hospital bed in our dining room. We're not in the same bed anymore. Right. So, um, you know, I, I get her settled down and, and then I go to bed and that's it. And I keep my eyes closed till I hear her call me in the morning. and We do it all again. But we, we have a lot of fun. You know, we really do, nice. which is which is weird. <laughs> but we do. <laughs> that is so yeah. good to hear. That's so good to hear. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you talk about, you know, this being, you know, so far three years into this journey. We're well, we're about seven years into the MS journey, um, but okay. three years since she got really bad and was and like was fully incapacitated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before that, she could walk around, you know, it was a progression of a cane and then a walker. And then sometimes, you know, if we went to a mall or something, she'd get one of those electric scooters. Um, and of course, all of these things over the year, they, they all kind of, they all chip away, at you, you know, like, I mean, you know, have, being, you know, still fairly young and having to go to a grocery store and, and use the electric scooters, demoralizing is a bit of a strong word, but it, the, all these things are hard. But the one thing that I've noticed in life, like I was, I was always afraid of my kids being teenagers, <laughs> but it took, it took 13 years before they became teenagers. And over that time, I, I grew accustomed to everything that was going to be coming. And I kind of feel like this journey has been a bit the same. Okay. You've, you've, okay. you've seemed to have a, a head start on all of us. Uh, you know, when many of us or, or the world went into lockdown yes. um, and, you know, music, the industry sort of changed you you had a head start on 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 everybody. Um, I, I really did. Yeah, over yeah. a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, we we had moved to Ottawa for Allison to have this this transplant because um, we had to relocate there for a year. Um, she was going to be in the hospital for you know about eight months straight. Um, so we, we, we went out and stayed out there. And uh, while I was there, of course, I learned about living in a bubble. Um, so I started carrying hand sanitizer with me, wearing a mask. Um, you know, when I would leave the hospital and go to the restaurant for dinner, I'd wipe down the whole table and all the forks and any, any sort of ketchup that was on the table, I'd wipe it all down. Wow. And people, I'd get a lot of weird looks, you know, cause sometimes yeah. I'd go out to a bar at night in Ottawa and I didn't really know people. So I just walked down the street and I'd go into a bar as a stranger and then I'd sit down and I'd, I'd kind of map out a square on the bar and I'd wipe everything down and everything that came my way got wiped down and, and I got a lot of weird looks. Um, but now everybody's there, you know? So yeah, I had about a year of that before, before the rest of the world was, was mandated to, uh, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And you even, you know, you talked about earlier before we started recording, you talked about, you know, really changing the way you brought music to everybody. You, you had yeah. to, you know, isolate, you couldn't tour anymore necessarily. Mm-hmm. So you, you had, you had to figure this, <clears throat> you had to figure out zoom before people knew what zoom was. Yeah. Um, I, 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 the year, the year before COVID, when I was in Ottawa, I spent a lot of time. Um, I, I was really busy with Allison that year. And, um, I think I did, I think I did maybe four Watchmen shows that year. That was it. Uh, that was all I could sort of get away from. Um, it was just a, it, like, I, I built a little mobile studio when I was out there, something that was easy to transport. And I tried working with other people remotely and I, 
by the time COVID came and everybody else was put into isolation, I was already, I'd already made the mental transition more than anything, mm -hmm. but I'd also made a lot of technology transitions in what I was about to do. And I think I did my first Whiskey Wednesday uh, live broadcast, um, like the week in and around the week that COVID hit. Um, and then all of a sudden everybody was live streaming and it was a big thing. And I, and I, I just decided it was going to be, I just knew that with my life, I wasn't going to be able to leave the house as much as I had in the past, but I still wanted to create music and present it in some manner. Yeah. And I just started, you know, it started one night with me saying to my daughter, you know, my iPhone's here, they're, they're, we can do something on Facebook. You just have to hold the phone for 40 minutes while I play some songs on the couch. Yeah. And that was the first episode. And then the next episode, you know, we watched it. And then she was like, well, maybe we should move that lamp over. So we moved the lamp over. And and then it just became a thing where I kind of said, you know, something. this is going to be me for a while. Um, and oh. that was when I, you know, I, I spent some more money and, and got heavy in the research on how to do live streams and also how to collaborate with others online. Uh, over remote distances without being in the same room. Um, mm -hmm. And I've just, I've just brought, I brought the whole world into my house basically. Um, and even that, that's how I did this, this record that came out in May. Um, you know, it's 45 musicians across Canada and the States that I did the record with. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I don't quite know yet. Um, you know, as the world is reopening, you know, like a few weeks ago when I started seeing bands starting to post their show dates and stuff, and I immediately went, oh, yeah, because I've had, I've had promoters calling me and saying, you know, when this is over, let's do this and that. I, I immediately said, okay, I got to get this and this and this done. And then I kind of went, no, I still have mm -hmm. a wife who's sick. And it, yeah. it kind of hit me and it, it, it knocked me down for a few days. And I just remember talking to Allison saying, I don't know what's wrong, but like, I, I feel like, I feel like everybody's about to leave the starting gate and I'm, I'm still... I don't have my sneakers on. Um, yeah. and, and I dealt with it in my head for a bit. And then I kind of, I kind of said to myself and, and, and I remember coming up the next morning and saying to Allison, when I was having my coffee, I said, I've made a decision. Um, the minimum 12 months, um, possibly 24 months, I'm going to decide right now that I am not going back out into the world. Uh, mm. As the world is getting ready to reopen and everybody's excited, I'm excited too, but I physically can't. And if I get caught up in this excitement, it's going to emotionally crush, crush me. Yeah. So I'm going to say, you know, at least 12, possibly 24 months while you're still getting some strength back, I'm going to be home. So what am I going to do? And then I sat down with a bunch of pieces of paper and I wrote out the next sort of uh, 24 months of my life in what I want to accomplish and how I'm going to do it basically from home or within an hour's drive. Um, and, and that's, uh, that's been very liberating. Um, you know, nice. I, and I know there's a lot of people who are really excited and also really scared to get back in the world. And I guess the reality for me is I can't, and I'm not able to get back into the world right now. Um, yeah. And that, that's a huge thing to realize, you know, I'm wondering, you mentioned, you mentioned, Ken, could you share, what's that? Sorry. Sorry. Could you share one of those things that, that you wrote down that you're looking to accomplish in the next 12 to 24 months? Well, I'm, I'm going to maintain the Wednesday night uh, live broadcast, um, yeah. and that's going to be um, that. That's going to that's going to stay. Like I said, whether it's me on a couch, the thing that I've learned about the Wednesday broadcast, aside from the fact that it's it's actually an outlet to get to an audience, which is brilliant. Um, but when COVID hit and people were locked down, they really didn't know. I think the fact that I had a year jump on them and, and I was very reassuring about how we we're all going to kind of manage. And one of the things was, we're not going to talk a lot, a lot about politics or COVID. This is going to be a music show and I'm going to tell stories about stepping on Lego in the middle of the night and all this other crappy shit that I talked about. <laughs> and I've had people in the last year write me some of the most heartfelt letters about how the Wednesday nights have affected them uh, and helped them this last year. And they hope I continue it. Um, I know that um, I'm not going to get into any specific people, but there's been a few emails that have kind of, you know, really made me sit back and go, holy shit, I'm still connecting with people, even though I'm not leaving the house. And this is, this is important. So, so that's one of the things that I'm going to do. Um, you know, the other thing is, is I'm going to start collaborating with more musicians um, on recording projects that maybe I will release under a small independent label here, uh, you know, create a little label and put out some, some sort of collaboration style projects uh, with other people that involve us working from afar. And, 
you know, I know we have a model that works, you know, a band gets together in the basement or the garage and you jam out, you know, cover tunes and you learn the cover tunes, and then you write your own songs and you mash them together. And this takes years. <laughs> and then you start playing and then you go out and you get into a van and you go and tour and you play, you know, 200 nights a year for nobody. And you keep doing that until you either give it up or something happens. Um, and there's, and that is the model that has worked. Uh, and I know that technology and like social media and the new business model has changed that to an extent. But for most musicians, it hasn't. It's still the way that we do it. Um, it's been really interesting for me to, after being in the music business for over 30 years, for me to sit back and go, okay, if I take the machine out of this engine, you know, the machine being the touring and the seeing people face to face, if I take that out, how else can I accomplish what I want to do? And that's kind of what I came up with, you know, so it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a rewrite for me on everything I have to do, including videos, social media, web presence, releasing singles every couple months, um, maybe an album once a year, working with other artists. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, I, I, and it could totally be a failure. I mean, it, it, you know, success and failure. Uh, I've had that debate with too many people for too long as well. So it's uh, yeah. it's all good. It's 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 making the best out of a uh, out of a not best situation, and uh, I'm pretty proud of uh, proud of the fact that I can keep a smile on my face and keep doing it every day. Nice, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's uh, you mentioned about some of the musicians, and I wanted to touch on for the new album. Like there are a lot of great musicians on this. Was this something that you that you were working on? pre-COVID or was this something that came together during COVID and like, how did you, how did you get that group of musicians together on the various songs? It was, it was again, it was very organic, um, which is, which is part of what's led me to thinking the way that I am currently. After I started doing the live broadcasts and realizing that people were responding and I was like, this is kind of fun. And then as soon as COVID hit, um, it was sort of a sense of, of not a sense of obligation, which is something I wanted to do for people. Um, so after the, I think it was the second whiskey Wednesday. I, uh, I said, this is fun playing acoustic guitar for everybody. I said, I might just uh, record some of these songs with a few mics and make a, make a rep playlist or something for you all to have. So you can listen to them in your car. And, and, um, and that was, that sort of, that was when the idea started. And, that later that night on Facebook, I said, you know, oh, if anybody wants to join me on this and add whatever, I'll send you some files. And it it blew up within three weeks. I wow. had 70 musicians wanting to play on it. And um, and that was when Mike Turner reached out to me. Um, he he mixed and uh, I would say he did a lot more mix, a lot more than mixing on the record. But he reached out and offered himself. He said, Kenny, he said, it looks like this project is getting to be really big. I'd love to be a part of it. You know, do you want me to help you with the mixing and the editing? And I said, yes. Uh, and it was great because I, it, when Allison had a period during COVID as well, where she broke her hip and it took me completely out of the picture for a couple of months and it was right in the middle of this project. So I kind of just kept collecting everything that I, that I had I spoke to all these other musicians, 45 of them made it to the record and I gave them all just an acoustic track with me uh, singing and playing acoustic guitar to a, you know, a tempo. And they all added whatever they wanted and then sent it back. And then it was all filtered and edited and compiled and then went to Mike and he did more of that. And then it sounded like songs. Uh, but it was, it, again, it was completely organic. Like I didn't at any point in time reach mm -hmm. out to, uh, was there anybody I reached out to? At the very end, I reached out to Danny again, because in the beginning of the process, Danny didn't have a studio and he couldn't get to, because of COVID, he couldn't get to one. Um, but at the end of the, we, we, there was one song left. We're doing Working Class Hero. And the person that was trying to get into a studio in Halifax to get it done couldn't make it happen. And I was talking to Danny and he said, oh, I've got a new studio now that I'm working for CBC and stuff. And I said, I'm going to send you that track. And I sent it to him and the next day. He sent it back. And that was the last piece. But other than that, everybody came to it. Um, there was one other person that was asked, and that was um, Daniel Adair. Um, I've known Daniel for years. Uh, he's a great guy. We're not, we're not close, but he's, you know, we've done a lot of touring together and, and he's always been nice to me. Uh, but I was mm -hmm. talking to, um, I was talking about my, my, buddy, my buddy, Tommy Mack, who, uh, who is a good friend. And Tommy was one of the first people who said, I want to be in on this project. Um, and he said, uh, he said, we got to get Daniel on this track. And I said, no, I said, I'm not calling anybody. I said, this whole thing is like, whoever calls me, uh, I said, I can tag people and sort of, you know, let them know what's happening. I said, but I'm not mm -hmm. going to ask anybody. And he said, well, I'm seeing him later today. I'm going to ask him. <laughs> and <I> said, <laughs> and he, he texted me like a couple hours later. He said, uh, he said, oh, he said, he's all over. He wants to play drums on it. I said, oh, that's fantastic. So it was, 
all of a sudden I ended off with, you know, professionals, uh, pro- not just professional mm-hmm. musicians, but like professional known musicians who to some people are kind of, you know, idols, um, mm-hmm. you know, some very notable bands and some bands that have a mm-hmm. lot of fans. And then on the other hand, there was a massive amount of musicians who've never played on a record before or never done a recording before. Um, you know, I had, I had some people call me say, I really want to do this, but I don't know how, to, what do I need to do? And I'm like, do you have any recording gear? And they're like, no, I've got a computer. So like I helped them through the process of buying an interface and, or going to Long and McQuaid and renting a microphone and an interface so they could record something for it. And some people just did it on their iPhone and, you know, we processed that. And it was just, it was such a weird, uh, weird and beautiful thing. Just the way it just Wonderful. kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you mentioned, and we were going to talk about somebody that I played with for years. Mike and I played together when we were in our teens. Ah, uh, I guess teens, teens, early twenties, kind of thing. Before you were, like, in, you were in Our Lady Peace, Greg. No, oh. before that. Oh, it was before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike's, back, a, real, uh, Mike's back. a real super guy. Um, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when, when OLP were going and the Watchmen were going back in the 90s, um, we crossed paths a lot, but we never really hung out. Um, I, I, I tried a few times, you know, being social, uh, but it was, I, I don't know what it was. Um, I never really knew him, but he, he always seemed like a nice guy. Um, but since, since, you know, the last 10 years or so, we've, we've had conversations on facebook and stuff and then a few times we picked up the phone and chatted and every time i've we've connected for a reason we end off chatting for like two hours and Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of the way it happened with this record too it was like hey let me help you with this and the next thing i know we're just chatting all the time he's he just seems like a really cool guy i'm I'm still just kind of getting to know him even though i've known him for you know 30 years um yeah i guess i was like playing with him in a band that was great. I mean, we were, I mean, we were kids, right? We were, I mean, if I think about it going back to when I was like 16, probably. So he would have been, I think 19 or something like that at the time. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, we were, we were, we were coming out of sort of post-punk into that new wave-ish kind of sound and feel and, and, uh, and then sort of more from there into the rock ish like sort of funk rocky mm-hmm. kind of thing but we were playing like a lot of you know do you, it's funny you mentioned about you know you play covers and then you mix originals in and then you, yeah. you figure out your sound and that kind of thing so it was you know it was very in excess kind of you know mm-hmm. simple minds um duran duran for sure was a big part of it so no it was great i mean again we were you know i was i was still in high school mike was in university at the time at western and then came back and yeah oh, he's a <laughs> good guy good guy for sure yeah, Absolutely. I like. I say I'm. I have nothing but good things to say about him. I, I think he's wonderful. Yeah. You know, um, and just getting known this last year, even closer. Yeah, I, I think he's a great guy. Can I, I, so off I, the new album, off the new album, Mike had had shared. I think, which is how I saw it, the video for Mad World. Yes, um, I think it was when when that came out, and uh, I remember watching it. I was just blown away, and I don't know if it was everything we were going through with you know covid and black lives matters and social and i mean it's just i got goosebumps because it was just the song your 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 performance of it and the video just i don't know it just came together i'm mean, almost getting emotional because it was just it was so bloody powerful and i just want to you know thank oh, you for thank that you. Like, um, the, the, the images for that video all came from a friend, Marcel Lavandier, uh, who lives back in Newfoundland. He was one of my punk rock friends when I was a kid, probably about the same time you were doing the Duran Duran thing. I was doing the dead Kennedys, DOA, SNF. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, uh, Marcel does this sort of street art and it's, it's amazing. Um, and when I, another thing, you know, when I was doing this video, I'm like, or this album, I thought, well, who else can I include? And I thought, ah, I've got all these artist friends. So Marcel did um, the one for Mad World, Rayanne Holoboff, who's a friend of mine in Vancouver. Um, she did a live um, still frame, you know, time lapse um, of her sitting in front of a blank canvas, listening to the song and painting. And by the end of the song, there's a full painting done. So, you know, she did that one. Um, Al Petman did the one for R.E.M.'s Driver 8. Um, I've got a young chap um, named Jake uh, Jake Thompson back home in Newfoundland. He's uh, he's a puppeteer. He's doing one for police on my back. Uh, and of course, Tim Lee, who did the um, album cover graphics, uh, he did a video for Don't Think Twice. So, you know, I'm, all these pieces, again, it's just like, how can we work? Like everybody's struggling how to work and we're all trying the old models. How can we work in a new way? 
And even though, you know, this record had, didn't make any money and, you know, it, 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 any expense that was, was taken on was mine. It was a labor of love, um, you know, and I've had a lot of people say since, you know, so how can we get more of this happening? Mm. And the problem is um, legally, you can't, you can't do this. COVID made for a very unique thing. You, there's no way that you could get a bunch of artists from labels to go record another artist's song and have an agreement where everybody could have it working out and then have some other artists do the videos for it and stuff and the treatments. There'd be too many. It would never happen. We'd be, we'd be legal to death. Um, you know, at any yeah. point in time, I could get a letter from several people saying, you know, stop this album. And I'd have to say, okay, it's done. Uh, but everybody's heart was in the right place when this happened. But, you know, um, and I did buy everything. I bought all the mechanical licenses. I did everything step by step. But, it's, you know, at some point, somebody, there, there's not a piece of paper or a, even an agreement between me and anybody or anybody and anybody on this whole project. Except I did speak to Mike Turner and Tim Lee. And with Mike, I said, you know, I really feel like this record is equally yours and mine. So if it comes to a point where there's a dollar made, you know, I would like to give you some. Um, and with Tim Lee, I said, you know, if I'm using your print for any T-shirts um, or coffee cups or anything, you know, merch wise, you know, I want to give you some of that as well. Um, and that was the only two things out of, you know, over 50 people working together where there's an agreement. This was just mm. something that people wanted to do because of a unique situation, a unique time in the world and something that everybody involved needed. Um, and that, that you can't, you couldn't do that. You, there's no way you could put this together again, including, you know, the people that, that are on this record. Um, it just, it's, I don't know. I just think managers, agents, record companies, it would just be oh, yeah. a, be a shit show. Say just the nature of the beast of the industry. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the, the industry is horrible. The music industry is, 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 a, is a fucking nightmare. I've loved it. I've had a great time. Uh, you know, I, 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 say, I say this in all honesty. Yeah. Um, the music industry is a fucking nightmare, and it's horrible. However, if a label approached me tomorrow with an interesting deal, I would actually consider it. Because sure. it does bring stuff. You know, I love being an independent artist. Um, but there's a certain struggle that comes with being an, an, an independent artist. Um, I loved being a label artist, but there's a certain struggle that comes with that. Um, you know, when I, when I made records with, you know, MCA and EMI and Universal and uh, Roadrunner and 604, um, we had great relationships. The people were all fantastic. Um, the shows were fantastic. The promotion was fantastic. All the work that got done for us as artists was fantastic. Um, the price we paid for it was a lot. Um, huh. And was it, and is it fair? Not, it, it never seems to be, you know, I'm, I'm just watching the new Beastie Boys documentary last night and the same thing when I was learning, like, you know, they got screwed. Everybody gets screwed. Um, it is the nature of the business. So if you're going to be in the business, it's good to know that, you know, cause it's, it's, it's not changing immediately. Um, and it, 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 luckily we have new ways to do things. Um, but uh yeah, sorry. Diatribe record companies gets no, me. No, that's that's so. What what keeps you going then, Ken? Is it just purely for the love of the art and music? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, also, I don't have any other skills. Um, I mean, I could, <laughs> I could probably you know design websites for people or any other part of the music business. You know, do radio for them or press or promotion or any of these other things. Um, I don't know. I just I just do what I do. I. I, I had a, I, I, when I was a teenager, I started playing music. Uh, school fell by the wayside. Uh, you know, by the time I was in my first year of university, my parents were like, you know, it's it's music or school. You have to decide right now. And if you choose music, you can't live here. And I just went in my room and I grabbed my bass and I left and I got on a bus. Um, wow. You know, th that's and I made that same decision year after year after year, uh, music is first, music is first, music is first. And then when, you know, I got married and had kids, my mom, I remember my mom, when my mom died, um, when my children were young, my mom on her, uh, in the hospital room, she said to me one day, she said, you know, she said, I've never seen anybody have a passion like you have a passion for music. She said, it's amazing. Yeah. She said, but she said, I just want to say one thing. She said, I think that your heart and your mind is big enough to have music and family. And she said, you know, you've got a wife and two young kids, um, and it, it'd be really cool if the passion was equal. And I kind of thought about it. And for the first time in my life, I went, yeah, something else is equal with music. And ever since then, it's just, 
that's what it is. You know, I was really lucky to meet the Watchmen. I had a great time with them for a long time. That led to Thornley and Big Rex shit and all that stuff. Um, Ron Hines afterwards. I, I've been blessed to play with amazing musicians and I've been blessed to have great opportunities. Um, what does it mean now? I don't know. I, I, I still do the same thing, you know, and every day there's food, there's always milk in the fridge. Uh, I don't live an extravagant life. I moved to the country when we had kids because I knew I couldn't be a musician and stay in Toronto. So we moved, you know, two hours outside of Toronto. I bought a farmhouse that had room in it for a studio. Um, and I've just, everything about my life is really geared to how can I get up tomorrow and just spend all day either being with family or making music. And, right. and that's, that's as far as my planning kind of goes a lot of the time. Greg and it's I have had, Greg and I have had you know, numerous conversations uh, over the past couple of years as we've chatted with musicians, um, mm-hmm. you know, about the whole business model around music. And Greg and I have chatted, you know, independently uh, about, you know, there's musicians that, you know, are now real estate agents or they're, they're just doing <laughs> other things. Um, I remember, I don't know, maybe five years ago, maybe longer, um, I was at a, an event for a, a vendor event. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Twitter is one of the companies that, you know, we buy media from. And I got introduced to this guy, Sammy. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sammy, nice to meet you. And then it was like days or weeks later, you met Sammy? Yeah. Do you know what? He's the drummer from The Watchmen. I go, he's my Twitter rep. What are you, what are you talking about? He's the drummer. <laughs> From the Watchmen, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting, which is why I ask, well, you know, if, if you've ever said, you know, music's, you know, it's fun, but it's, 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 it's hard. It's difficult. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not a nice world. Let me go do something else. I couldn't, I couldn't live without it. I, I, I physically, I don't, it, it's been so long now. Uh, you know, I started playing when I was uh, 13 and, you know, by the time I was 15, it was, it was my entire brain. You know, I, I went to sleep thinking music. I woke up thinking music. Um, you know, I, I remember like as a kid, I, I carried my bass with me. I'd get on the bus to school. It was a 40 minute ride. I played bus, but I played on the bus while I was listening with my Walkman. And I'd get to school and I'd, I'd walk in and I'd, I'd sit on the floor by my locker and I'd play until the bell rang and I'd stuck my bass in the, in the locker and I'd go to class and recess time. I'd come out and I'd grab my bass. And that was like, it was, it's still like it today. It's just like, it's, it's, you know, I, that's why I say I don't even know how to do much else. It's kind of, <laughs> I've done it for so long. Was it's your- just such- Part of me was your family musical like how did you know you know no you just like you just picked it up and uh i don't know i, I have no idea really huh. um i myself and my buddy mike anderson bought guitars at the same time and uh just decided to play and then i you know i discovered a, the punk rock scene in the early 80s in st john's newfoundland which was quite an interesting scene and I, I i made some friends uh and joined a band and it's it's just been nonstop. That's what it's been. You know, I, I, I got through everybody in Newfoundland. I played with every musician and band I could. And then I moved to Toronto and I opened up now magazine and I joined every band that I could. I was playing five, six nights a week while working, you know, as a telemarketer in Toronto. Um, and this, uh, this continued until, you know, I eventually music just became my mm-hmm. job. Um, yeah. How, how did like, like I'm interested to know, when you said sort of the punk scene in, in Newfoundland, because I think of like, you know, you think of DOA out of Vancouver and that group. And like, we had Art Bergman on a couple of weeks ago and or a month or so ago. And, you know, we had the Toronto scene, you know, you, had, you know, Ken, uh, not, sorry, um, uh, like Teenage Head, Kennedy's, yep. uh, those types yeah. of bands, right? Um, not Kennedy's, Forgotten Rebels, sorry. Completely yeah. blew that one. But anyway, so you had the yeah. Rebels, you had, you know, Durango 95, you had Head out of Toronto. Um, you know, I, I know from when I spent time up on the Manitoulin, which is where the cottage is, you know, I'd be in my new wave outfits and they'd all be looking at me going, mm. you know, <laughs> how did, how did, how did, how did you get to listen to punk in Newfoundland? Because I just, I think of that as so far away. There was a strange thing that happened in Newfoundland um, over the period of about five years with, I think, 1983 being the pinnacle. I was in high school with a group of people. Um, there was a specific group of people that I went to school with from a child. And uh, 
for somehow, and I, I sort of attribute it to a high school teacher. Uh, and this was a large group of people, including Rick Mercer, Andrew Young, husband, uh, Christine Taylor, myself, Ashley mm-hmm. Billard. Um, these are people that have you know gone on to be very successful Canadian mm-hmm. actors and, and musicians and stuff. Um, and we were all, we had a theater teacher named Lois Brown in grade 10, I think it was. And she kind of introduced us to, um, she was probably her early twenties at the time, um, mm-hmm. you know, just out of school. And she was really well connected with the downtown art scene um, uh, of which I would say the median age was sort of 35. Um, And these were all of the Shakespearean actors and stage actors and TV actors, the people that were in Codco and the wonderful grand band and stuff like that. And myself and Andrew Young husband and Rick Mercer and Christine Taylor and Ashley Biller, that was sort of the five key ones. We were kind of pulled down into that scene because we were actors and musicians as well. And at the time, there was a small punk rock scene of about 15 or 20 downtown kids, really. Uh, and they, they kind of came from uh, stressed homes, let's say that. Um, and I met some of these people, Clark uh, Hancock, Danny Thomas, um, Jack Lamford, Johnny Fisher, all these, this gang. And they were into skateboarding and punk rock. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I was playing music, so I was playing bass. So I joined a band with Clark and we started the band and and then this band started getting sucked into, there was theater productions happening just up the hill and like Rick Mercer and Andrew Young husband, all these people be doing this, these theater shows with this older crowd who were also associated with the wonderful grand band. So we'd get sucked into these productions as kind of, you know, the band that played an intermission or whatever. And this scene grew. And by the time it was at its peak, if you went down to Atlantic Place, which was the, the big sort of downtown mall, um, if you went down to the steps in front of there on like any day of the week between three and six or any time on Saturday, there'd be up to 70 of us punk rockers, new waivers and actors all just hanging out on the steps. And this scene was it was, it was amazing. And it, w- it wasn't just the younger ones. Like it was, it was, so the, the range, range was kind of 14 to 37. Um, and, and if you were in the middle, you know, sort of 16 or up, you could, you could kind of get into some of the bars where these other people were hanging out. But yeah. we had people who were doing TV shows, working with punk rockers off the street and skateboarders, and we were all collaborating on projects. And I think it gave us such a footing that, you know, eventually, you know, um, Rick and Kathy and Mary and stuff went off and started this hour as 22 minutes in Halifax. And Andrew Young has been up to Toronto and got his TV show for all the Canada's worst series and so much other stuff. Um, and, and like there's a whole list of other people. And it's, it's like that one group that I went to school with. We got we got a chance that like you know, the, the, the stars aligned to let this happen. It'll never yeah. happen. But I think it gave us all such a motivation and passion for what can be done creatively because we were also, we were in Newfoundland. So like as a Newfoundlander, we're, you know, we're a bunch of 14 year old Newfoundland punks. So all the punk bands we'd play all year and we'd get out, you know, our hundred friends and we'd collect the money. And a buddy, a couple of buddies of mine started a thing called DUPP, which stood for dead upturned puppy productions and every year they'd collect all the money from these shows. And then once a year, they'd fly down SNFU next year, DOA, then Deja Voodoo. Uh, so like we were full on. Yeah. Deja Voodoo. Uh, like we oh. were on, like we were doing everything ourselves. And, and that's, that's where I learned everything that I know about, you know, the music business. Um, and that's why I still love it today. It's such a, it's such a, I love it. I love I love the experience of creating and sharing. It's just, it's an amazing, it's, it's just in my blood. I don't know. I can't imagine doing anything else. We, we had, um, we had the star club in Oshawa. I grew up in Whitby. So we had the star club, which is Mike stars, his club. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. Mike star star records out of Oshawa. Yeah. And, uh, I remember taking, and we, cream and I've talked about this. I took a buddy of mine who was into to, like just a complete metal head. And I took him to a show that was like, OMD, New Regime, and, and I think Thompson Twins. Thompson know, it was New Twins. Year's yeah. Eve. In fact, yeah, Cream was at that <laughs> same show. So, so I took him to that show, and I thought, this is this, so this is interesting. Okay, this is interesting because he had never experienced anything like that kind of music. I mean, he'd yeah. heard it sort of the periphery, and then I took him to the Star Club, and we saw Deja Voodoo, and he just like, I'm a punk. Like I'm. Yeah. I, I'm I'm leaving everything behind, and he went off and started a band with. Um, 
uh, one of the guys from Durango 95, Younger Brothers, that went on to be Shark Graffiti. And, and like, they just, like, again, that's why as soon as you mentioned Deja Voodoo, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that's a, punk, punk had that thing for me. And I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd been listening to it for a while through my friends and we'd been playing punk, but like, I think the first show that I attended of, of uh, one of the things that we all put together was SNFU. And we had, DOA had been in a few years before and we're a bunch of teenagers again, you know, one of them, one of them contacted this club downtown and rented it for the night to get, to get a band down. They didn't know they were going to have 300 underage punk rockers there. So it was, it was a disaster, but it was also amazing. <laughs> so the day of the Deja, the day of the SNFU show, the venue found out who we were and canceled it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so we, we, we found, so we didn't have a venue. They're in town. We've got a show. We've got 200 kids ready. You know, they all paid five bucks for a ticket. So we somehow we found a, an, an empty apartment building that was downtown and we got into this apartment and lugged a PA up the stairs and brought in a couple of lights and stuffed as many kids as we were in there. And SNFU played there, but there was no security or barricade. So me and, and like eight of my friends locked arms and we sort of sat in front of the band watching them with our backs being the barricade for the audience. Right. And it's totally yeah. illegal thing. And that was the first time that I'd seen a live punk rock band. And this was SNFU, Chai Pig. Like he's, he's, he's like, yeah, I could yeah. touch his face. And that show, that show changed my life. It gave me, when wow. after that show, I said, that is the type of energy that I always want to put off when I'm on stage. And uh, it's just, yeah, what an infection that was seeing that show and just being turned on like that. It was crazy. Yeah. Ken, how do you get from that scene being influenced by punk rock yeah to now being primarily known as a as a as a as a folk musician like is is there is it just i've been doing this for 30 years i need to relax now like what like tell what is it about well there's there was a strange there's a strange sidebar to the entire story that i've told tonight and that story is as i was playing punk rock music and skateboarding um, I was also secretly um, in my bag of cassettes that I carried around for my Walkman. I had Bob Dylan and Nick Drake and Leonard Cohen. And I listened to that stuff all the time. Mm. Um, throughout my entire life, I listened to great songwriters. I've, I'm a big fan of bands like R.E.M., um, bands that don't really fit the, the punk rock scene or the folk scene. Um, you know, John Prine and all that stuff has always been big to me. Um, and even stuff like Charlie Pride, you know, his 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 religious stuff. Um, I, I don't know why I have such a varied taste, but it, there's been two sides to my life. And even with Thornley, like at the peak of the party rock and roll days, you know, when I had the two foot high mohawk and, you know, we were <laughs> it was just it was an insane party all the time. It was always known that, you know come midnight, the back of the bus was mine. And I would sit back there with a bag of weed and listen to Nick Drake and Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan while the party raged in the front of the bus. And anybody who wanted to chill could come back with me. So I think, I think my passion for, for the high energy of punk rock and the, and the, 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 the visceral nature of that combined with the, the sort of the somber storytelling uh, narrative aspect of, you know, the folk music that I like to play um, I think that, you know, I have an equal passion for both of those, but I've just spent 25 years slamming my head around the world playing rock and roll. Uh, and now my back hurts and my life situation has <laughs> changed. And, oh, maybe it's time to explore this other side of me that I, that was always there. And, yeah. you know, that was, that was 15 years ago that I decided I better learn how to play guitar. And that was when I started, you know, learning a G chord, then learning a C chord. And then, okay, well, what kind of style works with what's in my head? And I got sucked down the road of, Chad Atkins for some reason. Like I was expecting to go like Jeff Buckley or something. And I, and before I knew it, the only thing I wanted to play was Chad Atkins. Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even know how to do this stuff. Um, so I'm just exploring, you know, maybe it's the back yeah. end of my life. Now I'm 52 years old. Um, I'm not going to stop doing it. So it's time to explore this other side of money. That's always been there, but just hasn't been in the light, I guess. Nice. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, I can't speak for Dallas, but it's, you know, you think of Dallas green and like, like how many years did he go hard with Alexis off fire? And then he comes out with city and color and people's like, well, I think he did the one with uh, winter sleep first. Right. Yeah. But then, then the city of color and everybody's like, see what? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, um, yeah. 
and he's done well with it. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. I don't know. I, I I see that a lot a lot in the country style of Americana, where I spend a fair bit of time as well. And and recently, since I've I've changed guitars, I've I've moved into a Gretsch, and um, it's really helping me express you know the, the what I'm hearing in my head. And and apparently, a lot of that is kind of old school country, so that's cool too. Um, but in that scene, I'm meeting a lot of people like Austin Lucas, you know, um, Austin Lucas, who's down in Nashville. He, he's this early in his career. It's pretty punk rock, but it's almost bluegrass at times now, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's just it's, it's a really interesting thing to see the, the that sort of outlaw country thing has a lot of the punk uh, philosophies and, and ideals, even if it doesn't sound like it in the music. Uh, Ken, we have a segment called mm-hmm. Lost Venues. Uh, I'm wondering, Ken, is, is there is there a, a venue uh, that you have very fond memories of that just happens not to exist anymore? Um, yeah, there's there's a few. I mean, it's funny, you know, in, in all the time that I've spent out in the world, um, most of my favorite things go back to Newfoundland. Um, mm-hmm. I think it has to do with firsts. Uh, you know, I, I left Newfoundland at 18 or 17, 18. And um I think most of my firsts had been had been had happened at that point. Um, and the first bar that I became very close with was a place called Bounders. Um, I was um, I was dating a, a girl who was a few years older than me. So she was a bartender and um, she had just gotten a job at this place called Bounders, which is up on Duckworth Street. Um just above uh, on the upper northern uh, or not the northern on the upper part of um, George Street. And it was it was a it was a, an empty dive, you know, with a with a what was that breakout game where you spun the wheel and, and the ball went up and knocked out the bricks? Uh, you know, it had one of those video games. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember what yeah. it was called. But um, and, you know, it was all like, you know, dollar beers type of thing. It was it was a it was a, a Newfoundland dive bar. And um, and she was 20. Um, so we started hanging out there and, you know, I'd go in on her shifts and <clears throat> a couple of old newfies at the bar. And um, we had some bands and some friends and we said, well, there's an empty room upstairs. Let's start doing some shows. And within, uh, you know, within a couple of years, it became the most popular bar in town and every band was playing there and it was full, you know, five nights a week. Um, And so many great things happened there, like two or three versions of bands that I was with. Uh, you know, had their whole cycle there. Um, there was, that was where a band called the Thomas Trio and the Red Albino got their start and they became a, a huge Newfoundland funk band. Um, bands like Dead Reckoning, Sean Panting and all that stuff. They all had their firsts there, the great big sea guys, um, all in this room in a period of like three years um, went from being a nothing to being like the most popular thing. And then it exploded and, you know, it didn't actually explode, but it just, it fizzled out as they sometimes do. <laughs> um, but I think that's probably my, like I still have lots of favorite videos venues that do exist, um, but for ones that aren't around anymore, yeah, I miss Bounders. I miss Bounders. That was a spot. That was such a great starting place for so many people. That sounds great, uh, Ken. Uh, one of the songs from uh, All Together Now mm-hmm. is by one of my favorite artists, Neil Young, and it's Powderfinger. Yes, um, and I remember the first time I heard that song, it was on a. It was a live recording of a concert that somebody on a uh, Neil Young, you know, one of the first fan clubs on the Internet, uh, Neil, you know, sent to me after I sent, I think, 10 or 20 American bucks over snail mail. Like this is like I'm mailing him. Um, And I just love that song. I I, I really like to uh, to to understand, you know, why that why did you pick that song in particular? for for this record well um i chose that first of all it's interesting you say the first version here was a live version because remember i said earlier that everybody um everybody got just acoustic guitar and vocal tracks for them to play along to with a beat with a bpm associated yeah. this is the only one that that didn't happen with because i forrest um don williams uh, the old drummer for big wreck had reached out and said i want to play on Powderfinger," and i said okay cool but before I had a chance to send him the track, he sent me a drum track and it, it sounded amazing, but I kind of went, what, what, where did you get this? Like, cause there was tempo fluctuations and it was kind of like, it sounded live. And I'm like, he said, Oh, I just, I played along with what, like an old, I've got this old Neil Young record and there's a live version of it on it. So I played along with this live version. So yeah. 
so I had the, everybody had to play to that, of course, because there was no tempo map. But um, it's interesting you mentioned a live version. <clears throat> well, basically, when I started playing, like when I left, when I finally sort of had enough of everything that was going on and I needed to make some life changes, um, I left Thornley. Um, we were sort of in the middle of a big tour in the States with Nickelback and Three Doors Down. Um, you know, we'd just come off that. We were back home writing a new record and it was just kind of, I, I wasn't, I wasn't there anymore. Um, and I decided that I wanted to do something new and, you know, maybe explore this singer songwriter thing a little more. Um, and at first I thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to go out and play a bunch of originals. And, you know, I, I adapted a bunch of my originals to acoustic guitar, very basic, you know, basic chordings and stuff. And I went out and started playing, uh, empty coffee shops, you know, after leaving 40,000 people a night. Yeah. Um, and then people started, you know, people would someone say, Oh, you know, you, should, you ever play a song by this guy? I'm, I'm like, okay, now I'm getting requests. I've never had like <laughs> requests before. I'm like, okay, what, what do you do with this? So very early on, I thought, okay, well, I'll learn a couple of Watchmen tunes. Then I did, and they sounded like shit. I was like, this doesn't work. I don't have Danny's voice, and Watchmen tunes were never really meant to do to happen on acoustic. Um, and it, it sent me, in, it sent me spinning, and I didn't know really um, how to, if you would, you know, because at the same time, every pizza parlor I go into has some guy in the corner playing every fucking cover tune you ever know, right? So why do I need to do that? Um, but at the same time, every now and again, somebody would say something. I go, fuck, I love that song. You know, something, that wouldn't be a bad. And then I thought, okay, well, how do I deal with this now? Because uh, if I'm going to, if I got somebody for three minutes in the audience to listen to me, do I want to hear, do I want to give them something that I've written or do I want to give them something that somebody else wrote? It was a really long process. And finally, I just kind of realized that I have to stop thinking about it too much and play what I want to play. Um, so as I was learning guitar more and more, um, I started, uh, I started learning some songs, um, and it's kind of become something that I really love doing now. You know, recently I've, I've been tackling like Elton John tunes and, oh, yeah. um, and that redheaded kid from England, uh, who everybody loves. What's his name? Ed Sheeran. Um, Ed Sheeran. I did an Ed Sheeran tune. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do like, like stuff that's really outside my wheelhouse. Uh, cause I can sit around and play the clash and the cure all day. <laughs> but one of the first tunes, one of the first times that I found a song that I kind of went, okay, this one couldn't could work was when I, um, when I decided to play Powderfinger. Um, it's a song that I'd love for forever. So uh, yeah, I, I worked it out on guitar and I worked it out um, considerably differently than, than uh, most people would play it, um, which is kind of my, kind of my go-to, I guess. Anyways, hope the audio is all right on this one. Look out, mama, there's a white boat coming up the river With a big red beacon and a flag and a man on rails I think you better call John So don't look like they're here to deliver the mail And it's less than a mile away and I hope they didn't come to stay It's got numbers on the side And a gun and it's making big way Daddy's gone My brother's out hunting in the mountains Big John's been drinking since the river took him loose. Then the powers of be left me here to do the thinking. And I just turned 22. And I don't know what to do. And the closer it got, the more these feelings grew Daddy's rifle in my hand felt reassuring He told me red man's run, son Numbers add up to nothing 
But when the first shot hit the docks, I saw it coming. Raised my rifle to my eyes. Never stopped to wonder why. And I saw black in my face through the sky. Shelter me from the powder and finger. Cover me with the thoughts that pull the trigger. Think of me as one you'd never figured would fade away. With so much left undone Remember me to my girl You know I'll miss her Wonderful That was awesome Thank you That was awesome. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed that one. (laughs) That was beautiful. Um, Ken, one of the questions we'd like to ask people before we wrap it up, because I know we're coming up on time here, is um, one of the questions I'd like to ask is, what's what's in your earbuds lately? What are you listening to that people should be checking out? Um, The the new Black Pumas, even though it's not new, it's, it's, it's new to me. Um, I, I, I've just, now that the record stores are open, I've been out buying some music again. Um, but I'm actually kind of rebuilding and I'm rebuilding my old collection from vinyl again. So, I mean, what I'm buying and, and what mm-hmm. I think people could be listening to, you know, it's not new, but everybody should have a Pixies album in their collection. Um, uh, the new Black Pumas is amazing. Um, Bob Mould's new record is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Tyler Childers. I don't know if you've heard of Tyler Childers. He's a, <clears throat> bluegrass-ish country singer. Um, some of the um, <clears throat> Anderson Pack, anything that Anderson Pack is working on, check out as well. Really, really groovy stuff. Um, that's about it, really. I mean, you know, lots awesome. of old stuff. And lots of old punk that I'm, I'm trying. I'm still looking for a copy of Fresh Fruit for the Rotten Vegetables. If anybody has that on vinyl, Help me out here. <laughs> awesome. Ken, thank you so much. This has, uh, has been a real treat. Oh, good. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. It's talking really fun to you talking and, to you guys. Yeah, it's been really good. I have one favor. Yeah. To, to ask of you. I hope you don't <laughs> mind. Um, and Greg, if you want to edit this favor out, you can. Um, <laughs> so far, I've interviewed two members of Our Lady Peace. I want yes. to try to get as many members, former and current. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Mike Turner is, is I, I keep on, Greg tells me about this guy, Mike Turner, a lot. I don't know anyone who can make an introduction, Ken. <laughs> Consider it none. I'm not sure. And he did one podcast with me uh, on, on these shows, which was great. But I, you know something? He's a great guy to talk to, and he's, he's got a setup. I will make a connection. <laughs> awesome. I say that almost half jokingly uh, because no, you know, so it's, <laughs> Greg, you know, Greg and Mike are like good friends and, and Greg has never, not even once said, Hey, come on the podcast. That is not yeah, true. And you know it. No, that's not true. Not, 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 no. he's, he's just busting my balls here at this point. We have talked to Mike about getting him on. So, right. okay. Good. You know that Mike would love to do it. He's a good chat. He's got lots of great stories, but he's a really oh, good yeah. storyteller. Yeah. Ken, be- before we let you go, uh, let everybody know where can they find your music? Where can they pick up the new vinyl? Um, yeah. Why don't, you, why don't you tell everybody? Everything is over at kentizzard.com. Um, and if you search Ken Tizzard, you'll find me on social media. It is me uh, on any of the Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. It is me. Any message you send comes to me. Um, and uh, I try and answer everything. So uh, that's how you get a hold of me. Wednesday nights, I do a live stream every week, 8 o'clock Eastern. It's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. Um, and again, it's on the website. So 
that one's a lot of fun. I'm around all the time. I encourage people to reach out, you know, say hi. If you look on my website, you might even find my phone number. Drop me a call. <laughs> awesome. every, now and again, I'll, every now and again, I post something on my website. I'll, I'll grab like something from an email. Like I'll post on the website. And a week later, I'll be looking. I'm like, oh, God, I've got my phone number. In there. <laughs> 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 it happens more than you know. <laughs> Getting all those calls. Again, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank yes. you so much for the for the song. Um, Thank you. This this has been a real treat speaking with you. I really appreciate it. And 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 positive vibes for to Allison, please. Oh, yeah. I appreciate positive that. Yeah, and thank you for having me on. I um, I know that you know my history with the Watchmen and Thornley and stuff is um, is is old news, but it's also kind of the big news. But I'm really excited when people are interested in what I'm doing now, and I, I appreciate it. So thank you, thank you both very much. You're welcome. Have yourself a great thank evening. You. Cheers. Take care. <laughs>